this evening we are in Revelation chapter 21. Thank you for coming back tonight as we are rapidly coming to a close to the book of Revelation. Tonight we are beginning to look at the new heaven and new earth. Revelation chapter 22 gives us far more detail than what we have this evening. But last week we considered the millennial kingdom. Tonight we are introduced to the new heaven and new earth that follow the millennial kingdom. First is the announcement of a new heaven and earth, Revelation 21.1. <coughs> then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The new heaven and new earth are referred to elsewhere in the scriptures. This is not uh, just limited to the book of Revelation by any means. Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Uh, certainly, Isaiah chapters 65 and 66 are uh, essential in uh, really getting a grasp on what the new heaven and new earth is like, and I commend uh, those chapters to you. Isaiah 66, 22, For as new heavens and new earth that I make shall remain before me. Second Peter refers to the new heaven and new earth. Second Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth. It is new for the heaven and earth as we know it will be completely transformed. Second Peter 3.11 and 12, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? So there is going to be a total reconstruction, if you will, of the heavens and earth as we presently know them. They are said to be dissolved. The new heaven and new earth is a new creation of God. Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah 65, 18, Be glad and rejoice in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. So just as God created the heavens and the earth as we now know them, so too God is going to be creating the new heaven and new earth. The new heaven and earth will be a holy place, for it tells us in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, a lot of discussion as to what that means when it says that there will be no sea. Uh, Revelation 13 one says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the sea uh, seems to have a negative connotation uh, throughout uh, the book, and so most commentators take it to mean there, that there will be no more evil when it says there will be no more sea. Number two, the purpose of the new heaven new earth is for an eternal dwelling place of God and man together. An eternal dwelling place of God and man together. 
Uh, it's important that we understand that as usually people think about heaven, uh, they're talking about a disembodied state of which a person now dies and goes to be with the Lord. And that's a right concept of what heaven is. But the wrong concept is that that's eternity. It's not. Uh, there's an end to that state. Uh, there's going to be uh, a, a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be a bodily resurrection. There's going to be a reuniting of body and soul when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We've already talked about that. Then there's a millennial kingdom. Then there's a new heaven and the earth, and that is the eternal state. That is what we are going to be with the Lord forever and ever. Uh, that's when we can sing the line of amazing grace when we've been there, there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. There'll be no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. That's the new heaven and new earth. That's the final situation of the dwelling place of men and God together. If you notice Revelation 21.3, the underlying section, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is the essential element to the new heaven and new earth. It's God and man dwelling together. Uh, I don't want to shoot the wad for chapter 22, but we're going to see there's, a, there's kind of a Garden of Eden experience all over again. Um, that's the essence of man and God dwelling together forever. On this earth, and I probably should have added the words on this present earth, so we, I'm not talking about new heaven and new earth, I'm talking about this earth as we now know it. On this present earth, God would temporarily visit mankind in the garden. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The point is that God did not live in the garden. God did not dwell with Adam and Eve. God visited Adam and Eve, if you will. Uh, he walked among them. Uh, he appeared to them from time to time. But he did not consistently dwell with him. On this present earth, God temporarily dwelt among his people, first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And so in the Old Testament, there was this manifestation of the presence of God. There was the cloudy pillar by day and the fiery pillar by night. There was the most holy place of which God would uh, dwell, if you will. But again, it was a temporary condition. It was a temporary situation. God replaced the tabernacle. God replaced the temple. Um, see, on this present earth, in the person of Christ, God temporarily dwelt among us. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus walked this earth temporarily. Uh, Jesus is not with us in a physical 
bodily form any longer. He has ascended into heaven. So God visited his people in time past, and God demonstrated himself to his people. But God did not fully dwell with his people. That is what we are looking forward to, this dwelling with God. D, in the new heaven and new earth, there is a full eternal manifestation of the glorious presence of God, a dwelling in which he is fully revealed as their God and his people are his people in the fullest sense of that word. Revelation 21, 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there with them as their God. In the Old Testament, God said to the nation of Israel, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But it was not in a complete and perfect way, for his people were disobedient, and they disobeyed God. And so God had to bring discipline upon them. That is not the case of the new heaven and the new earth. But rather, God will be our God in the fullest sense of that word, and we will be his people in the fullest sense of that word. E, in the new heaven and new earth, all of the consequences of the fall will be completely removed. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. Again, I know many times you will hear Revelation chapter 21, 4 at funerals and different events. And people will quote this time and time again, talking about what happens when a person dies. But it's the new heaven and new earth when these things take place. It is not the position of the child of God in his presence at this very moment. In fact, there are portions of Scripture that speak about our weeping. or There's there's going to be sadness over our sin. There will be a time in which all of that is done away. But that is in the new heaven and it's in the new earth. That's not now. That's why we long for that new heaven and new earth. It says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And uh, let me just give us an aside uh, that the scripture teaches that uh, the former things will be passed away and will not come into remembrance any longer. Uh, I submit to you that is one of the reasons why all tears are wiped away. Uh, when we're in heaven, now, uh, we know what's happening on the face of this earth. We are grieved. We looked at earlier chapters in the book of Revelation, and the martyred saints are saying, how long, O Lord, <laughs> until you, you bring judgment? Uh, they uh, are aware of what's happening. They're moved by what's happening. There is a recognition of our former life and our uh, having uh, failed to live up to our responsibilities and duties as we should, uh, that uh, temp temper our joy, and we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of that ends with the new heaven and the new earth. F, in the new heaven and earth, 
all the benefits of salvation will be fully experienced. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This constant statement of God being our God, we being his people. This heritage is referring to an inheritance. We are told in uh, Peter that we have an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, uh, undefiled, uh, reserved in heaven for us. The full expression, the full manifestation, the full experience of all those blessings are yet future. They are in that new heaven and new earth. G, in the new heaven and earth, the wicked will have no place. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Here again is one of the very uh, significant differences between, for example, the millennial kingdom that we looked at last week and the new heaven and new earth. If you remember, during the millennial kingdom, there are wicked people on the face of this earth. They're held in abeyance. They are ruled with a rod of iron so that they can't manifest that, manifest that full rebellion and that wickedness. And Satan is held in check. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed and uh, all of the unregenerate are brought together as an army uh, to try to revolt against God. The point is there are still wicked people on the face of this earth, even in the time of the millennium. But a new heaven and new earth, there is no wickedness. There is no one who is unregenerate on the entire face of the earth. Revelation 21.8. But as for cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Number three. A consideration of the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and new earth. The new Jerusalem is a holy city. Revelation 21.2, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city is heavenly, city on earth. Notice Revelation 21.2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down out of heaven from God. So there is, though there is this new Jerusalem, uh, there is a continuation between the heavenly Jerusalem that's there now. We're not talking about an earthly Jerusalem. We're talking about being in God's presence in heaven. Uh, there is a sense of, as we sing the song, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching our Zion, the beautiful city of God. There's a sense in which we can speak of heaven as this city, this heavenly city, the city of Jerusalem in, in heaven. That is pictured as coming down out of heaven. So now the question is, well, how can it be existing and how can it be new all at the same time? Well, let's think about our bodies, all right? 
we are going to receive resurrected bodies. If we haven't died, we are going to experience transformed bodies. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, then Christ will rise, and we will be changed, all right? Uh, the mortal must put on immortality. The corruption must put on incorruption. Then will be accomplished the saying that is written, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The strength of sin is the law, and the uh, uh, sting of, of death is sin. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our bodies, though different, are a continuation of the same. And it matters not if your body is rotted. It matters not if it's blown up. It matters not if you are cremated. There is going to be a reconstitution of our bodies. They are the same body yet different. Well, same with this Jerusalem. It will be the same heavenly Jerusalem, but different than the uh, heavenly Jerusalem that is in existence now. Many areas of continuity, some areas of discontinuity. C, it is holy in that it is set apart for God and his people, thus a sanctified or consecrated city. I saw the holy city in Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained for her husband. So it's made for us and it's made for God to dwell together forever and ever. Indeed, the city is from God, meaning that it is not constructed or erected by human hands. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And we looked at Isaiah passages that speak about its being created by God. So this is not a city that we are constructing. This is a city that is made by God. The structure of the new city. The city is built around the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 21:12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the gates 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. B, the city is built upon the foundation of the 12 apostles. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lord. The church is said to be built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, that is, um, uh, and I gave you that in the New American Standard as well. Uh, D, here we learn of the importance of people in the building of God's church. Uh, in the book of Peter, I didn't put the verse there, but in the book of Peter says that we are living stones, we are living stones. We are that which God builds upon. In Matthew chapter 6, 16 and 18, Simon Peter, let me give you the context. Uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples. He said, who do you say that I am? They said, some say thou art John the Baptist, and some say thou art Elijah. He said unto them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, <clears throat> Now, verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and Peter means rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, the Roman Catholics make a big deal out of this verse 
by saying that Peter is the first pope, as established by Jesus in this particular verse, and from that comes this whole aspect of a secession of popes, etc. There's been an incredible reaction to that by the Protestant church, of which they say, no, that's not what it means. It's simply saying that what Jesus is building upon is the statement of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he's building his church on. <clears throat> I submit to you that's an overreaction. <laughs> that is really changing what this, this verse says, and in a pretty significant way. You don't have to accept that Peter is the first uh, pope, and you don't have to accept everything that the Catholic Church says about popes to simply say that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon you as a stone, Peter, that you are going to be significant in the establishment of my church. And we find out in the book of Ephesians, <laughs> we find out in the book of Peter, that God builds his church by person by person, brick by brick. <laughs> we are a living temple, the word of God says. We are built up as the word of God says. And so we are intricate in the establishment of his city. Uh, we are, as I say, stones, living stones in this particular city. So uh, what we are to gain from this is that there's a, a figurative sense in which this whole Utopia, if you will, is a result of God's work in his people. For the main aspect is God dwelling with his people. And God has used the prophets and the apostles as being foundational to God's people dwelling together. God has used his prophets, he has used the apostles, he has used the 12 tribes of Israel to build up a people of God. And God uses grandparents and parents to pass on the faith, to build up a people that are ultimately going to finally dwell together as one people of God, as we spoke of even this morning. Uh, so God uses people to build the church uses people to build his city. Number five, the physical characteristics of the New Jerusalem. The city is immense. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as the width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's uh, measurement. So, number one, the city is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. Talk about skyscrapers, all right? Uh, it's pretty immense. The walls are 216 miles thick. It is far greater than the earthly Jerusalem ever was. That's a small statement. The point is, this is an incredible city. Uh, there's a lot of picturesque language in this. The, the, the walls of a city 
were for protection. <laughs> These walls are 216 miles wide. Nothing is going to be able to come against this great city. Uh, nothing is going to be able to oppose it. Plus, there will be nothing that will want to oppose it. There is no evil uh, that it will be present at that time. B, the materials of the New Jerusalem are befitting the excellence of its ruler. The cities in keeping with the magnificence of God. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth chameleon, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, uh, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the twelve gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Number two, in the Old Testament, the temple was magnificent, for it was to represent the dwelling place of God. What we are to see is that this ruler of this great city, which is God, there is no expense which is too great. There is nothing that is beyond his ability to provide. We know the word of God says that God owns the sheep on a thousand hills. Uh, what usually people don't realize is what the next verse says, and that is, so what is the point of sacrifice? Uh, everything we give to him, he already owns. Uh, every sheep that is given has already been provided by God in the first place. Here is this great, magnificent city. So number two, in the Old Testament, the temple was magnificent, for it was so to represent the dwelling place of God. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and experienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. So as David is preparing for the building of the temple, he's putting aside gold, he's putting aside uh, all these uh, precious stones, etc., for the building of the temple, he says, it must be magnificent. For it is for the Lord and his fame and his glory throughout all generations. Second Chronicles 2.5, the house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. There was this desire on the part of David and the Old Testament saints to build something that was worthy of God. Solomon realized, he said, I can't build a house that God can dwell in. He is the God of all creation. But Solomon wanted to build something that was magnificent to represent the presence of God, and how awesome and incredible this God was. That tradition passed down even into the Middle Ages. And you think of the great cathedrals that have been built. And you think of the uh, Sistine Chapel uh, with the mural that was created by Michelangelo. All right. This desire to have a building that was like any other building on the face of the earth. Something that would be totally unique, something that you just walk into and your, your, your jaw would drop and say, 
You are worthy, O God, of this, and no one else. We have lost in that sense of the worthiness of the majesty of God. We have become so pragmatic in our worship that utilitarian issues rise to the forefront. And I understand that. I get that. I'm just saying there is a place. There is a place to remember the magnificence of God. And it is not a waste to try to celebrate the glory and the majesty of God, uh, to depict it, to prepare us for worship. So anyway, this is going to be an incredible, incredible place. Nothing on earth, this earth, could match what this is going to look like, whether it be the Taj Mahal, whatever it is. Think of the most grand place on earth, and it pales in comparison to this heavenly city. And again, the city is magnificent, for it is the one place of God. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself shall be with them as their God. Number six, the glory of the new Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, the glory of God filled the temple. Um, I'm not going to read this lengthy passage. It's there for you. And you can uh, read it for yourself at uh, your leisure. But it is the first day of worship in the um, temple that was built by Solomon. And uh, all the furniture is being arranged. The Ark of the Covenant is coming in. All of these things are taking place and sacrifices are being offered. And then if you look down at the bottom of the page, bottom page 7, starting at 2 Chronicles 5.13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and cymbals and other musicians, musical instruments, in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Um, that fiery pillar by day was a manifestation of the, the, the glory of God. Now, the glory of God will fill the entire city. Number one, there is no need for a temple to worship in it. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There is no reason to go to some place for worship. There is no meeting with God, for God is with his people everywhere, fully. Uh, worship is not set aside for a particular time, but will be a part of everything that we do. That does not mean that this is going to be one long worship service. We'll see that next week. But rather, it means that whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, we are told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that's done is going to be done to the glory of God. Everything will be done in a spirit of worship. Everything will be done in a spirit of praise. Everything will be done is in the spirit of thanksgiving. We are told now, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God 
concerning you. But so often we don't give thanks. But there will be a thankfulness that is manifested in our hearts continually as we go about the work that God has given us to do. There will be a true spirit of worship, of a recognition of the centrality of God, the importance of God. Work will take on a whole new dimension, for it will be not to please men, it will be to please God. Everything we do will have a new focus, and that is of God. So the dwelling of God replaces the temple, Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The presence of God's glory fills the entire city. And this city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So the light of this city is the light that comes from the presence of God of God, a light that comes from the presence of God. See, all the nations will live in keeping with God's glory. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So by its light, remember the light is God's light, it's from the Lamb. And it says that all the nations, all the peoples, will walk in that light. Meaning that everything we do will be governed by the revelation of who God is and what God wants from us. Uh, There is the song, and and, uh, I have a great memory, but it's short. I just, uh, Azure, Azure, where's Azure? Thank you. They're all, all the way in the back. Okay. That's where I'd be if, okay. Uh, did you play tonight, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path? No, as a deer. Oh, as a deer. Okay. Well, there is a song as, <laughs> thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It comes from Psalm 119. There's a beautiful picture. Before there were flashlights, people actually would put little lanterns on their their sandals. Uh, They would actually walk with these little lanterns on their sandals to give light so that they could see where they were going because they didn't have flashlights. They didn't have the paraphernalia. And uh, that wasn't the only way. They had torches and different things. But one of the things they would do was put light upon their sandals. Well, the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Your word directs me. Your word teaches me how I should go. Your your word is the source of my wisdom, the source of my knowledge. Well, here, you see, we don't need the scriptures. We aren't going to be having Bible studies in heaven. For we are going to know him even as we are fully known. And we're going to know his will. And we're going to delight in his will. And we are going to walk in his will. We're going to accomplish his will. We're to be praying, Jesus said, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the new earth. When God's will 
is done on this earth the way that it's done in heaven. No sin, no disobedience, no sins of omission, no sins of commission. Everyone will walk in that light. D, God's glory will be manifested continually. Its gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. <clears throat> nothing will diminish God's glory, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only the regenerate are going to ever be a part of this, this city. Uh, there will never be anything to detract from God's glory. One of the, the saddest portions of Scripture in my mind is Psalm 4. Psalm 4, David says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayers. So, so David is pouring out his heart. He's saying, I'm in distress. I need your help. Have mercy upon me as I call upon you. The next verse says, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love falsehood and seek after vanity? God says to David, David, you took my glory and you turned it into shame. I did all of this for you. And yet, Nathan says to David that you gave reason to blaspheme in the nation of Israel. You gave occasion for people to speak against God. One of the saddest things is when we who belong to God are a source of robbing his glory. When we fail to live as we ought and God's name is besmirched, when God's name is defiled, when God's character isn't lived up to, when we are not showing forth the true image and character of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we who are to bring him honor bring him dishonor. Those days will be long gone. Those days will never exist in new heaven and new earth. There will never be a moment that we dishonor our Lord. There will never do, we'll never do anything that we regret. Never anything for which we feel shame or remorse. Nothing that will dishonor our God. But we will have complete eternal joy because we will be righteous and we will be experiencing God as our God and we as his people. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would help us to have a little bit of this heaven on earth now. Help us, O oh God, to seek to glorify you in all things. Lord, help us to lift you up, to exalt you in our obedience, in our righteousness, 
O Lord, may we not want to bring dishonor or shame to your name. May we not be a cause for people to say, oh, they're a Christian and look what they do. Lord, conform us to the image of Lord Jesus. Make us like him. But Lord, we know that, that there is this sinful nature that we possess. And it is impossible for us to live righteously in this world. But we thank you, O God, that you will create a new world in which absolute righteousness dwells. There will be no temptation, for there will be no tempter. There will no, be no inward desire to do that which is wrong. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more fight. But Lord, there will just be a natural loving, adoring, and worshiping you because of the transformation that you bring to us. We long for that day. We say with the writer of Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord, give us a desire to worship you in spirit and in truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And we are dismissed.